The pendulum of F1 is swinging back. Just how long will that last for? Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. And James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to episode 20 of F1 in Review, the episode and the hour where we look back at round 11 of this season, the Austrian Grand Prix. Hello, I'm a somewhat horse Tom Claiborne, and as ever I'm joined by Tristan Fangold and Angus Gallagher. A reminder you can follow myself and Tristan individually on Twitter, as well as F1 in Review, we do have our own account there as well, where we put up the episodes after they have been published, be that live on River Radio or via your preferred podcast provider, you know all of them. So moving forwards now we start at the very top of the grid of how it finished. Ferrari, this race saw, indeed on Friday and Saturday, the Red Bull and Max Verstappen qualify in P1 and indeed win the sprint that came later, but it was the Ferrari of Charles Leclerc who was turning back the clock in many ways and he had the last laugh, he won this race. And it means now the Red Bull's seemingly unstoppable run of six wins on the spin is now firmly over and Ferrari are building themselves a two-win on the bounce streak so far, one for each driver and when we look at this race compared to let's say Bahrain and Australia for Ferrari it's quite similar they look in terms of pace alone somewhat unbeatable and really Red Bull or the one Red Bull driver remaining for the 99.9% of this race didn't really have an answer regardless of the strategy they went for be the undercuts or whatever and in my view at least we saw a somewhat more confident uh, Ferrari compared to Silverstone there was little sort of uh, dither and delay and discussion and all this about what they should do it seemed that very much they could do any strategy, pit whenever, do what they want and win the day. What do we make though guys of the uh, Ferrari comeback, should we say, perhaps a newfound momentum, at least when it comes to power circuits? Very interesting, isn't it? Because last week we did pose that question, whether or not Ferrari was going to be able to catch up with Red Bull, given that there was, I think at the time there was about 60 points between each each um, of the the top three so 60 points between red bull to ferrari and then 60 points between ferrari and mercedes and to some extent this weekend the 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 balance of formula one decided to uh well to hurt poor carlos Sainz and sergio perez perez as you say tom you know wasn't there for 99 percent of the race was a real shame because on the on the opening lap he collided with george russell george russell ended up getting a five second penalty for that and unfortunately, it just that collision took a massive chunk out of um, Perez's side. And so he lost so much aerodynamics that he just, wow, they couldn't really remain competitive. So they retired him. And then later on, the Ferrari of of Carlos Sainz decided it, it didn't really fancy overtaking Max Verstappen. And so it decided to uh, end the race in a dramatic style, catching itself on fire in a horrendous way and we i was screaming at the tv so you know saying come on sites get out of the car because he was rolling down a hill trying to get out of this car that was on fire um so his engine went in a catastrophic way took the whole engine out i don't know how far we're going to work out what went wrong because it didn't just go bang it sort of went bang and then destroyed all the evidence after it so as i say that formula one is cruel sometimes and and just when you think you've got one up on your competitors because they're having a bad race um yeah the the, the hand of fate intervenes so I think Ferrari this this weekend were on it in the race, but certainly I don't know what was going on in the sprint and in the qualifying because they they just looked like they had an inferior car to Red Bull. Going into this race, Red Bull had said that they had a, a turbocharger that would be very good at the altitude and they had really optimised the car. And in the qualifying, Max was pretty, you know, was was a, was pretty good and then in the sprint he just dominated in that sprint 
qualifying. We're not allowed to call it a race, apparently. But, you know, in the sprint qualifying on the Saturday, he just sauntered off. We just didn't see him one iota. And so I was expecting it to be exactly the same in the race. But it, it just wasn't. The, the, the Ferrari of, of Leclerc was just fantastic. And then the Ferrari of Science was almost fantastic until it decided he didn't fancy it anymore. So I don't, I don't know what changed. And in the interviews before the race on Sunday, Leclerc said, oh yeah, we're going to have the measure of them on Sunday. Mm. And he was completely right. So if, if any of you know why you know Leclerc knew that he was going to be so dominant on Sunday, please do let me know. But <laughs> I feel like Ferrari almost shot themselves in the foot again because near the end of the race, Charles Leclerc had this throttle issue where it'd stick at low um, at low speeds, which means he couldn't get off the throttle properly. And so he had to hit the brakes earlier and it lost him time. He only won the race by but 1.9 seconds. So it makes me wonder whether or not Ferrari were just a bit lucky this weekend. What do you think? Is it just luck or, you know, is it is it actually that Ferrari should have been totally dominate, dominant and that's the way it's going to be going forward? I feel like I'm about to break new ground here and actually credit Ferrari for their strategy for oh, the hang first on. time in a very long time. <laughs> hang on, wow. hang on. Um, <laughs> the, because, the th- because the thing is, they actually had a pace advantage this weekend. It's interesting that you say, uh, Tristan, about the interviews he gave. I think it was the team radio as well after the sprint on the Saturday where he's, he just flat out says, it's fine, we'll get them tomorrow. And that is that is reflective of the fact that they were there was more of a pace advantage for them this weekend. That was clear in the race. It wasn't like Silverstone where Max Verstappen had a problem and without a problem he likely would have won that race. So from going from one of Ferrari's back-to-back victories being more based on luck, this one was based on actually keeping their heads and the strategy only got working out well. When Red Bull threw the dice, bringing in Verstappen at a different time, they stuck to their guns, they didn't follow another team's lead, which I thought was really really positive from their side. Um, it just it just came across, you know, as like less muddled thinking, which often is what the Ferrari strategy comes across as. Um but yeah, poor Carlos Science, honestly. Poor guy. I feel like he is like he's had four retirements now this season out of eleven races. So if you're retiring from what's that, thirty five percent of the races in a season, you're not really gonna have any realistic chance of a championship challenge, nor is it going to help your team's prospects in the constructors championship. So for every as the phrase every cloud has a silver lining for the for Ferrari on this weekend every silver lining has a cloud unfortunately because whilst whilst the victory has come their way and I thought Leclerc drove his drove his backside off I think to be honest the last few races he's been really doing it really well Canada coming from the back of the grid uh, to where he did coming in in fifth in Silverstone managing to hold off I know he was holding off um, Alonso and Norris at the end but holding off the other cars as long as he did whilst he was on hards and they were on softs I thought it was a phenomenal effort, and then this weekend he was just he was just on it, and again reliability almost struck. It would have been the most cruel thing in the world had he had a, a throttle failure and he'd managed to l- not win that race. That would have been a massive, massive, well injustice for him, but also big, big questions would have been asked of Ferrari and their reliability. But he came through, he won the race, he had a pace advantage, and it'd be interesting now to see where we go from here in terms of whether whether this is, as you described it at the top, Tom, whether it's a pendulum swing in their favour, whether it's... It, I, don't, I wouldn't say it's going to be a flash in the pan, but they've also... Ferrari here have got, one, the momentum seemingly going their way a bit, and two, they've got, before the summer break, two back-to-back races in France and Hungary where they can really consolidate their current advantage and they can make up some ground in both the Constructors' and the Drivers' Championships. It'd be interesting to see if that'll be the case. But whilst Silverstone felt like, you know, they got a bit lucky, got the race win, and also almost lost themselves the race win, this weekend felt like they actually worked it well and managed to take advantage of their of their pace advantage. So if they have more weekends like this one, the pendulum could be swinging, possibly back mm. in their direction. 
I think the best way I've heard it be described is that Ferrari are building momentum, but it's very fragile momentum. We had one car doing really well getting P1, the other one uh, suffering from the famous old mechanical issues they've had four times now where Ferrari cars DNF'd, and we're only in, what's this, round 11, as I was, as I was saying. So it's not a really great conversion rate, but we saw, didn't we, on the upside. This was quite similar, in my view, to how they operated in round one in Bahrain, because not only were they very uh, punchy, racy, and looked very good in terms of pace but as you say the strategy was bang on there wasn't any sort of muddled dithering it was very much this is what we're going to do we trust ourselves to execute it and doing just that I think if we look at uh, the overtake on lap 12 where he dives down the inside of Verstappen who looks you know unaware really of Leclerc going for it and thinking well he's not going to go and make a move there it shows the confidence I feel that Leclerc can have and does have when it comes to this Ferrari at power circuit so if we're looking at the calendar now we're going to Paul Ricard next I can imagine there's going to be another um, rather good weekend in some capacity for Ferrari or there should be because they're the, the, the tech format after the, the summer break as well we've got Spa where I think they could also do some damage but the question begs as well are they only going to be a constructor where they can do very well at power circuits and you know muddle through and perhaps get um, a P1 or a P2 or on the podium here or there in the other circuits or are they more well-rounded because if we're looking at them versus Red Bull for example as we've seen by Red Bull winning six races they can seemingly do it anywhere on their day so it's up to Ferrari now to show that consistency instead of just being an operator which does very well in a certain type of environment really but definite green shoots I think for Ferrari for Leclerc but I mean we've seen it before haven't we they started the season so well I drank the Kool-Aid but the issues remain I think really this weekend surmised where they are of they've got great potential but there's still the Achilles heel they need to get to the bottom of because compare them to Red Bull for example yes you had one driver finish but the other one was only out owing to a collision not a technical issue or a mechanical one they seem to be at the races at a variety of circuits when both drivers are still on the track and I think Ferrari need to go and match them pound for pound so interesting to see what will happen next weekend yeah it is because I I, I agree that that you know I, I feel like Ferrari on paper this year should be dominating really mm. they should they stormed out the gates they and they demonstrated early on that they had a power unit that was that was ridiculously fast and that's part of the reason why other Ferrari teams have been doing well they've got the design ethos absolutely spot on which is why other teams are, are looking at the way they're doing things and they've also been able to explo exploit loopholes that even Mercedes haven't thought of I mean at the moment there's this um controversy around these flexible floors which mm. we won't really have time to get into in this podcast but uh, it just gives them a bit of an advantage because their floors in in two pieces Mercedes didn't didn't think of exploiting that so Ferrari have really come out of the gates this year presenting this incredible golden chalice of a of a of a um of a race car and then they just lacked this consistency and that's what's really letting them down so when you look at the raw numbers between ferrari and red bull at this point there's only 56 points and between max verstappen and charles leclerc there is now only 38 points and and given that we're we're, we're about to go to the halfway through the season and we're only a a race away from the, the summer or so from the summer break then we would say oh yes there's all to play for and Ferrari can catch up and look how fast they are but it, it seems to me like Ferrari's problem is actually they are competitive you know my opinion Bonotto their team principal is wrong this is the season where they are competitive but what they're not is consistency and consistency is absolutely key in in formula one we've always said that and you're right you know without perez's unfortunate collision then i think for our you know ferrari wouldn't have done nearly as well because red bull were already a lap down and a, and a man down so you know it gave them the opportunity to, to really to take that lead and then given that science's car gave up then they were lucky because well, if Perez had stayed in the race, it would have been Ferrari on the on the back foot in terms of the constructors, even if Leclerc could win. And so I feel like that's the bit that they've got to work on at the moment, that consistency of their package, because this was the year that they were supposed to win. At the beginning, we were all saying, yep, Ferrari's finally, look at Ferrari go. Not only are <laughs> you know, Red Bull struggling and inconsistent, but look at Ferrari, they're fantastic. And 
And what we're seeing, we're seeing that typical Ferrari slip. So I, I don't know whether or not it's just because Ferrari hold on to their legacy team, and they really do hold on to their their you know their team once they're in there. The team principal, Matteo Bonotto, was an engineer. He worked his way up. He finally mm. got to the top. I feel like Ferrari you know involve themselves in a select group of individuals, keep them in there, and then clutch under them to the very end. And of course, if that doesn't work from the beginning, it's not going to work later on. The, the strategy team, for example, they just, they're indecisive at best. Damn mm. right, you know, not paying attention at worst. They're, the engines in the Ferrari are fantastically fast, but also decide to catch fire and explode. Throttle is not working. You know, I, I, I think the only people that currently ha are on it, absolutely on it at the moment, are the aero team. The aero package is amazing. Fantastic. Yep. So mm -hmm. whoever, keep them. But everyone else, <laughs> maybe they just need to do like a, a little reshuffle. Just re-deal re the cards and mix everyone up a bit. See what happens. I don't know. But I think if Ferrari can keep the consistency and get that spot on after the summer break, then I do think that we will have a fantastic championship at the end. When they, I reckon Ferrari could absolutely bring the fight back to, to Red Bull. But at the moment, I just don't think they've got a chance because it's taken them basically a, another quarter of the season to get back into a race-winning position. And when you say bring the fight back there, Tristan, do you mean in the constructors or the drivers? Do you think they've got a better chance in one? or? I think they've got a better chance in the drivers absolutely because the problem for ferrari is that they have to get strategy right twice in one race when it comes to the constructors they have to get the engines right twice mm. i think at the moment and i'm really sad to say it but i think they've got to prioritize trying to get leclerc a, a championship because i think if they if they go if they go into the the next few races allowing Leclerc to to have the say and have the dominance then I think that will set Ferrari up better than what they're doing now which is saying oh yeah we'll let them fight we'll let them fight yeah go on science go on go have, have a go at him because in the sprint race on Saturday they let them fight which allowed Verstappen to just saunter off well that's that's really good for fans but you know I'm talking from a from a, a you know not a fan's perspective here it's rubbish for ferrari to allow ferrari to ruin ferrari's own race <laughs> you know leclerc and Sainz fighting for for p2 can only help red bull and red bull knows this they're sitting there thinking thank you very much you know look at that max verstappen cruises back home to a to a you know p1 for sunday great nothing can go wrong now and of course you know leclerc then had to make up for all of that all of that on Sunday, which I'm glad he could do, but to be honest, that's that's pushing everything to the limits. And it's when you start pushing everything to the limit, that's when you get the problem. Would Ferrari have had the same problem for, for Leclerc if he hadn't have needed to have to keep fighting back for, for Stabben and to try and overtake him and push harder and harder and harder? Because it's mm -hmm. only when you go over the edge that and, and to the very extremes that you get the problems. You know, that's why mercedes was so dominant for so many years because effectively they could cruise mm. so yeah i think that given there's only 38 points between leclerc and verstappen leclerc only needs to beat him sort of five times and yeah. there's an awful lot of races left so i think they can use leclerc to get into the lead i think they can use science needs to be sort of the wingman to leclerc at this point he's too far back now that's it he's too far back he's got 75 points to the to first place and that for me at this point that's a cutoff point that he would need mm. science would need to win nearly every race from now on yeah to yeah. put that into perspective no absolutely and it's it's one of those isn't it where you think what could have been without those retirements because when you consider that we say oh Ferrari, uh, you know, hampered by uh, reliability issues when it comes to the mechanical car, the setup, and all that sort of stuff. Double the D double the DNS and retirements Science has versus Leclerc, really. So it's not like 
um, they can turn around and signs, uh, team signs can go, well, I'm sorry, this isn't fair, you know. You're prioritising Leclerc over signs because he's been given a bigger contract and because he's the golden boy and this, that and the other. As you say, as Red Bull have done in many years gone by, Mercedes have been, have been doing as well. It's one of those where pragmatism and the reality of the situation has to go and you know win out the day. And it's one of those where you know signs could have had the possibility of fighting for this championship if we rewind to the perspective of, let's say, you know, round three or four or maybe even five. That's even after two retirements. But now, as you say, the gap is so huge. The golf is there, and it needs to be one of those situations where they focus on trying to win, not just being competitive. And I'm interested to see from Bernardo's perspective how much of his words about this season being one where we're competitive again is a mentality, or one where it's just playing down expectations after being hampered so much by uh, the package that they have and by the power units. Because I hope, really, it isn't a, a core mentality problem or a mantra that they have. Because if they already conceding defeats despite now building up two back-to-back wins having you know the greatest car on paper definitely one which is firmly suited to power circuits you sort of think well will Ferrari ever be a team that's going to seriously compete or even win the drivers or the constructors if they're conceding defeat after six retirements when you have let's say compare that to Red Bull for example you've got the first two retirements in Bahrain round one and then Australia as well and that was three in three races alarm bells are ringing but we, we hardly speak now do we about reliability when it comes to Red Bull because they've turned it round so I think it shows almost Ferrari are out of practice for one, one of a better phrase really in terms of fighting for the championship be that drivers or constructors they've always been happy to be the nearly team I remember sort of uh, you know 2018 2019 of oh we may challenge Mercedes oh we may but they never really kicked on from what was a really good testing period before but now there aren't really any excuses as we'll see now you know back-to-back wins they have the technology there if they can just get rid of the reliability problems you've got someone with um, Charles Leclerc who I think previously on this podcast and elsewhere there's always been a question of is Leclerc in the same bracket to Verstappen is Verstappen let's say a generational talent if we're talking about you know the you know the great drivers of generations and those that go on and kick on to get multiple world championships in their name and is Leclerc you know the nearly man too that is he box office versus let's say, the level of Lewis Hamilton and Schumacher and co. But I think, really, he's up there with Verstappen. We saw that this race. We saw it last in a different context. But now it's got to be you know, talking about um, theory and all that, making that into practice, because it's all well and good saying, oh, Leclerc is being held back by the team. But with Ferrari being such a huge brand, A and B, you know, so much money as well. And I understand there's a budget cap when it comes to development of the car, but the pull of the name of Ferrari and, you know, the the money they can attract purely by wages, which is not restricted by the cap, is huge compared to someone like, you know, to an extent, Red Bull, maybe even Mercedes as well, because they're, the, you know, uh, Ferrari are the grand old team of the sport and Mercedes are only getting into it. So less excuses, really, because we're seeing now what Ferrari can do, but will they continue to do it? Mm. If we're looking back at my prior comments and how they've transpired, I'm not overly confident, but um, I'd love to be proved wrong. It does come back to the original point about the pendulum, and the pendulum's now swinging with them. And yeah, it it just it's an interesting point as well that's made about science because 75 points, 75 points on anyone to make up on anyone is hard enough, but 75 points to make up on Max Verstappen, I'd say, is mm. nigh, nigh on impossible. So it would take a lot of luck for him to get back in the picture. I think Leclerc's in a more profitable position where one retirement for Max and Charles is back in it, I think. I think last season where Hamilton was about 30, it was 33 points behind Verstappen going into Silverstone, then that infamous collision happened. And for all the rights and the wrongs of that, and there's a whole debate about that, Hamilton won the race and was, all of a sudden the gap went from 33 points to 8 points. So... For Leclerc, mm. if he wins a race and Vax retires, that gap goes from 38 to 13. So arguably now, Ferrari have to put their eggs in the Charles Leclerc basket. They have to do something which, back in the, the Charles Leclerc basket, weird phrase that, they have to do something which, <laughs> they, they have to do something which, back in the day, in the ruthless Schumacher years, they'd be all too happy to go to Mr. Rubens Barrichello and say, you're going to be number two, mate, you're going to have to help out the team and get Schumacher this championship as early as possible. Now, it's not that scenario because they're coming from behind to try and win, but Mr. Bonotto needs to 
ditch his nice side yeah. and just be firm with this. I feel like Christian Christian Horner would, if there was a scenario where, as much as he may profess in public that they have an equal chance, if there was a scenario where Verstappen was, say, 75 points ahead of Perez with a handful of races, he would say, sorry, Checo, but we're going to prioritise Max for the championship as long as we're still in a strong position to get the constructors. Ferrari find themselves in a position to possibly still get the, the constructors. So you could argue that with the gap there is between Leclerc and Science, in terms of as well their proximity to Verstappen, Mr. Bonotto is going to have to get uh, take his, get his nasty side out. Yeah, maybe maybe the the nasty side that he uh, with his uh, finger wagging that he was giving to Leclerc after uh, after Silverstone, so mm. telling him to stop being upset. He needs to uh, maybe do the same thing to Carlos Science and put some stamp some authority down and basically say if we want to win both championships. We're going to have to, one, still try for the best result for the team, but two, give one driver a greater shot at the, at the championship. So it'll be interesting to see see if, to be honest, to summarise it, see if Ferrari take advantage of this momentum swing because there have been times this season where they haven't been able to do that. My fear, though, is they're not going to be able to because the implications of some of the things that we saw across the season so far, the inconsistencies and the damage caused to the engines, for example mean that has a has a knock-on effect the rest of the season so Carlos Sainz for example is definitely going to have to take an engine penalty there's no mm. engine left it, it, it if you didn't see the the um engine ripping itself apart it did with so much force that the side pods of the Ferrari bulged out and exploded off mm. that's 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 a catastrophic mm. rapid disassembly it's absolutely ridiculous the amount of force and then that's why we'll sort of caught fire you know so that means that Carlos Sainz, at some point, is definitely going to have to take an engine penalty. Maybe next race, maybe they'll they'll decide to do it later on. I'm not sure when they'll do it yet, but that's definitely going to happen. Charles Leclerc has gone through enough engines that he's now going to have to take an engine penalty later on in the season. And I, you know, I, I could I can confidently say I think at this point that Max Verstappen will have a retirement or a pointsless um, race for the rest of the season at some point it always mm. happens it's, it's, you know at the end of the day that's last season for example that's why Lewis Hamilton was able to catch back up but if you said well how many pointless races are, are Red Bull and Ferrari going to have well I'd say well Max Verstappen's probably going to have one or you know maybe two oh Leclerc pff, I, I could see him having three <laughs> four mm. you know at this point because they've 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 just not been on it at the moment they they haven't got that super competitive consistency and so i think absolutely yes leclerc could definitely catch up quite quickly as as lewis hamilton did um last season because red bull might have a retirement or something might go wrong that they only get a couple of points but the problem is is ferrari in themselves have have set themselves up for a very difficult season ahead due to the fact that they've got these penalties incoming. They've got these other problems that, that you know, their strategy, for example, just can't hold it together all the time. Mm. And also, you know, the the sprint <coughs> races, or rather I should say sprints, because we're not allowed to call them races, those sprints do offer points, good points, and different points between first place and second place. So it's annoying that Ferrari are like, oh, well, we won't necessarily go for the win tomorrow. Why not? Because a win for Red Bull over Ferrari just extends the lead for um, for Red Bull. And you might say, well, at one point, two points doesn't really matter. Well, it did last season. So it exactly. could this season. You've got to get every single point you possibly can. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think Ferrari have got a, a difficult season ahead of them. The pendulum might well have swung in Ferrari's favour now. They might well be quicker. But when it comes down to it, it might just be too little too late. And on that point, if you're Ferrari and you know you've got to go and take the penalties because of the new engines you'll have to be putting in, when do you go and take those penalties? Do you take them at the power circuits where we've seen you know, this race gone by and also towards the start of the season where they're so good and they can do very much what Mercedes did last year and start from the back of the grid but then power their way through and get a respectable uh, points tally in the end, albeit you know, perhaps on the podium but P2, P3 or at worst case P4, or do you accept defeat in, let's say, the more 
or street circuit ones where there's less opportunity to take and thinking hungry for example being a good example of that and go well realistically we know that Red Bull have probably got the the win over us in this case so we'll just you know accept defeat but then bank on us doing really well in let's say Spa or Monza for example I would take it I would take it 100% I would take it when you know you can overtake um, I, something like United States would, would spring to mind it's quite good at the Circuit of Americas to 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 overtake there so you know later on in the season once you've got a bit of a better understanding of where your competitors are and where, and and things like that but to be honest with Ferrari it might they might have to take one much sooner than they want to be able to but that's where I do it definitely one of those tracks where you can know you can overtake like Circuit of Americas in terms of the best place to take the engine penalty I ones that stand out Spa because of the long straights and the ability to overtake yep would they dare? To, would they dare take an engine penalty at Monza, Ferrari? I mean, mm. politically, that's I mean, dangerous. You, uh, yeah, you, you you might have to if they can save it for later on the season. I'd say yeah, I agree with Austin in America, or, or maybe Sao Paulo. Mm. I think Interlagos is good for it, but for me, it looks like it's going to be sooner rather than later. So Spa or Monza, in my opinion. And we've spoken about the Ferrari Works team and the Ferrari Power teams had an excellent weekend as well. By extension, we return to Haas now. And look how well they've done, particularly Mick Schumacher. P6 for him, a double points finish again. Magnussen in P8. And we're seeing now, aren't we, that Haas can be very punchy, be very racy. They're now seventh in the Constructors' Championship. And throughout this race, they were fighting and holding their own with a Mercedes team that has improved. It was one of those previously where we thought, well, do Haas have the ability to go up against a depleted, porpoising uh, Mercedes Constructors team? But now, after the upgrades that have seen uh, Mercedes finish P3 and P4, you've got a Haas car there, which has the ability, both drivers now, and not just uh, Kevin Magnussen um, doing all the spade work there, having the ability to go toe-to-toe with them. We spoke about the pendulum so much, and when Ferrari do well, you'd be surprised if the Ferrari power teams didn't do uh, respectively well or relatively well when it comes to what they can achieve but what do we think then you know a bit of momentum coming around for Haas particularly for Mick Schumacher the questions are being answered by him seemingly now he's gone in a very good patch of form by uh, scoring good points not only in the race in Silverstone but also now the Austrian Grand Prix so turning point for Haas or just another pendulum swing um yeah, what's got into Mick Schumacher? He's all right all of a sudden. <laughs> um, oh, but no, God. but no, but no. That makes it sound like I thought he was dreadful. No, it's, it's not that. I just think that he wasn't living up to expectations. He has a, and I think I've mentioned this before in an episode, whenever maybe last year at some point. He has a very specific pattern in his junior Formula career of easing in in year one, kind of doing all right, maybe getting the odd race win here or there but not setting the world alight. But then year two, he knows the car, he has the routines, and he, I think in like every, all the three, something like all the three junior categories he he was in, he won or came second in year two, having come around eighth, ninth, tenth in year one. So the expectation, you would say from a lot of people, would be for year two of Formula One to be better than what was actually a good year one overall. Yes, he was up against a very low yardstick in Nikita Mazepin in a car which had not much chance of fighting for points or being on a par with the rest of the field. But Haas's decision to, in the end, prioritise completely development for the 2022 car meant that there was more pressure on Schumacher because you were like, well, the car's going to be better. You saw in the opening rounds in Bahrain, Magnussen came fifth, qualified it in like sixth or seventh or something. And you were like, right, Haas has like got the potential to be the fourth best team here. So Schumacher has to score points eventually. And it's just the fact it took him a lot longer than we expected. And he's had those incidents like in, Mia- in uh, Miami where he's crashed into his Formula One dad, Sebastian Vettel, with a couple of laps left. And like messed up a great chance there. His various crashes, not being able to race in Saudi Arabia because because he destroyed the car so much in qualifying, splitting the car in half when he crashed in Monaco, um, having good positions in races and basically or being like in a stronger position and not necessarily taking advantage of it. And he got that monkey off his back at Silverstone. He got those points. He drove a very, very good race. He managed to have a battle with Max Verstappen at the end. He was like quite measured about it. He wasn't a lot of drivers in that situation would have got to eighth place, having never scored points before, and gone right. There's a 
world champion in front of me in a car which is usually faster. I'm just I'm not I'm going to back out of this. I'm just going to leave it. But he tried to go for seventh place within reason. He wasn't aggr- he wasn't overly aggressive. Max arguably was in that, but he went for seventh place and wanted the, the even more points, which I thought was really good to see. And then again here in Austria, he's just he's just been solid. He's been solid really. He's taken advantage of the fact that it seems to have been an uptick in the Ferrari powered teams for some reason or another, with Ferrari themselves having a really strong weekend. Haas got sixth and seventh in qualifying, which is really strong. Mitigating factor of Lewis Hamilton crashing out and Sergio Perez having time uh, track limits penalties. So it would if you take that out, it would have been eighth and ninth, but still two cars, only five cars got uh, or five teams got a car into Q three this weekend, and Haas was one of them. They both maintained strong position in the sprint race and then took advantage of what was in front of them. When cars dropped out, they just stayed stayed solid on Sunday. Mick Schumacher reaching the the dizzy heights, you could say, of sixth place, but not seeming too overawed by it or not sort of, um, not really sort of... I think sometimes with Formula One, with many things in life, you do you do end up doing a good job when people don't notice that you're doing a good job, if you know what I mean. So if you if you end up doing something well and then everyone at the end goes, oh, wow, that was great from X or Y. And that's basically what Mick Schumacher's done, I think. He sort of had a decent race and at the end we're like, oh, he's in sixth place. He's done really well. Whilst if he had been talked about, it probably would have been something which would have prevented him from getting that sixth place. So it's almost like there's been a breakthrough or something, you know, like a breakthrough with the pace, breakthrough with maybe just the mental, but the psychological breakthrough of getting those first points. But... I think his strong performance reflects what in general has been a stronger showing by Haas. They've now got just over the last was it the last two races they've got both cars in the points. So they've got 14 points out of Austria, which is a healthy total for a team that has only 34 all season. So after five races without any car in the points at all, they're on a they're on a good run of form at the moment. They've gone past Aston Martin and Alpha Tauri in the constructors. Alfa Romeo look a bit more in their sights. And they're on an upward curve. And again, talk about talk all the all the time in the world about pendulums and momentum. Maybe they're on one of those at the moment where they've got to take advantage of their momentum swing and take advantage of what could possibly be an uptick in form from them. But I thought, yeah, credit as well to Mick Schumacher for upping his game, doing really well, especially this weekend. Like I said, he had a solid all round weekend, as did Kevin Magnussen. So the at the moment it looks like the only way is up for Haas, possibly. It is. It's always very difficult when we when we sit there, you know, discussing how a a potential uh, driver isn't necessarily holding their own uh, in a team because in the back of our minds we know we'll eventually be proved wrong and everyone goes, ah, I can't believe you said that about Mick. Look at him now as he you know sails mm-hmm. his way up the order. Well, and at the end of the day, we can only go by what we're seeing, and it seems like Mick Mick's doing all right now. Now that he's I suppose steadied the ship, he can start fighting with. World Championships, that battle between him and Lewis Hamilton was fantastic. What a great racing. Respectful, fun, interesting, good, solid racing. Well done, Mick. I've, no one is more happy to see him proving his place in the sport than, than me. I'm you know, rooting for him, but at the end of the day, we can't we can't lie about what we see. We can only go by what we what we review, hence the podcast title. Uh, and uh, Kevin, Kevin Magnuson as well, just, I mean... What a good choice to bring him back into the season. Out of the um out of the eleven rounds that we've had so far, including the sprint race as well in this last race, Kevin Magnuson scored seven times. Scored points seven times this season. Which is just fantastic for Haas because last year they were doing not very well. This time, Kevin Magnussen alone scored points seven times this season. And we've had 11 races, but, you know, that skews it a little bit because of the sprint races as well. I think there's about 13 opportunities because we had two sprint races to score points. So seven out of 13, pretty good. Pretty good for Haas because they haven't been on it every time. They've had some poor strategy decisions. So, you know, we I'm so pleased that we're seeing Haas just get better and better. They have now reached seventh in the Constructors' Championship. If I said mm. to you that last year, I was like, "Has going to be seventh. Would you believe me? No, no chance. No. no. And it's not just like they've only just overtaken Alpha Tauri either. There is seven points between them now, which, you know, there's a bit, it's starting to open up a gap there, which is fantastic. I'm looking at the fact that Hass of 34 points, looking at Alpha Romeo of 51, going, ooh, 
I wonder, you know, where can Hass go next? You know, there's, I think that's the cap, by the way. I don't think they're going to get anywhere after. I reckon they might, you know, if everything went Hass's way, they might be able to get to sixth. But seventh place, if they finish seventh, they, you know, they will be rock stars. I, I on Twitter at the moment, every time Hass do really well, uh, Gunter Steiner gets photoshopped next to a bigger and bigger uh, ship. <laughs> and uh, he's got a big ship. At the moment, if imagine if they got like sixth in the season, I don't know what they'd Photoshop him against. But absolutely, <laughs> absolutely top form. I'm, I'm so I'm so pleased. I really am. And as a, as a bonus to them, if um they you know they have stuck with their mantra really of we're gonna you know give up last season and we're gonna come into this season having spent all of all of the budget on on R and D and it's paying off. And I think they'll be pleased as well by the news that the budget cap is actually going to be increased. Mm-hmm. So um, it's going to go up by, uh, I think it's about 3% because of inflation. So I'm glad to see F1 is, is is considering the fact that there is inflation around the world at the moment. And they want to you know help the teams a bit because this will really help Haas especially because, you know, they haven't got a huge amount of money anyway. Haas need, now needs some solid sponsors. Don't go after the weird lot again, because Haas have had weird <laughs> sponsors with Rich Energy yeah. and uh, and 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 the such like. So yeah, we want some solid, you know, good sponsorship under under Haas. Really drive them in the right direction. Just, oh, I'm so pleased for them. I really was. I felt I, I felt like you know Mick getting driver of the day. Um, on Sunday was the redemption arc of Haas. So yes, good for them. <laughs> Yeah, if you'd have told me towards the start of the season that Mick Schumacher would A, get a P6 finish and driver of the day, I'd have gone, hmm, that's fairly unlikely. But he's answered the critics' questions in uh, this race and the one before. And looking back at it now, knowing that he can go on good runs and finish his highest P6 and challenge you know, the top races in an inferior car, I'm starting to see some parallels, some similarities between him and George Russell when he was at Williams. Because if we rewind a year or so, it was very much a question of well, will George Russell be able to do it? Yes, he's in a far inferior car than this Haas car that McShumack is in, but he'd always be near the points, close to the points, nearly getting that first point to his name. And then when he did it, you know, the floodgates opened. Yes, there was a dip in form, but you know, in terms of patches, in terms of what he was able to produce back to back, he got some solid points in memory. And Mick's doing similar as well, leading the way now compared to his teammate. We heard him on the team radio saying, "I'm faster. You know, give me the chance." and I can uh, go forward and go as high as P6 and beyond, which he's done. So uh, it seems to be a renewed confidence in Mick, really. You know, it was one of those where before he seemed a bit nervous. It was very much, oh, that was my corner when he um, uh, bashed into Seb Vettel and, you know, wasn't too assertive about that. But now we're seeing a a driver who's letting his racecraft, his ability on the track, do the talking. And when he needs to go and say, listen, I back myself, I know I can do this, he's not afraid to go and have those conversations which you know after the poor start to the season and the question marks that remained over him it's nice to see he's got that sort of fire in his belly and that the team respect him and go well go on then Mick you know you've got points in the last race we believe you can do it it's so good to see and it's nice to see that the patience and the goodwill from Gunter Steiner and Haas and Co and everyone there has paid off for Mick Schumacher because it wasn't too long ago where, as we said in this very podcast, if they were to dump Mick Schumacher for Antonio uh, Giovinazzi, which was a rumour, which you know mm. seemed plausible, you'd have gone, well, it's not on paper at least, an awful decision when you consider that Mick hasn't delivered. But now he's done it twice. I feel he'll go on to get more points. I won't be you know, silly and say he's going to get points for every single race now. But um, I believe he can now kick on. It's so good to see because, I mean, we all know my thoughts on Giovinazzi, but for someone <laughs> like Mick Schumacher to be dumped because he's not been able to get points and to have someone like Giovinazzi come back into the sport, who I think has had enough time to prove his worth, put it that way, would be a backward step. But I think really Haas can go into the next few races, Haas can Ferrari really, to those power circuits now with renewed confidence. I suppose the only issue for them is they're competing with sixth place, which is you know in their sights, as we say, with another Ferrari-powered car, and I'd argue probably with a better driver uh, against them, Valtteri Bottas, than what they have at their Disposal. But as we say, when it comes to constructors, you need two drivers and two cars to be you know, there 
at your A game, getting points or there or thereabouts. And if we're looking currently on form, you would say the trajectory of Haas in terms of you know the team, where they're going, is probably a bit more on the up, really, than you say compared to Alfa Romeo. Take away the, the crash that they had, but no points in Austria, which, you know, surprises me when you see Ferrari doing so well, being so dominant in terms of raw power and, and pace, Ferrari doing the same as well. So you can't go and say, well, unfortunately Alfa Romeo just didn't have the tools at their disposal because they did. And we've seen, of course, Bottas getting points in every other race aside from uh, one or two prior to this. And when he's retired, that's been you know one of the only reasons why he hasn't got it as well. But Maybe, as we say, the pendulum is swinging in the favour of one or the other, but it's still going to be a huge task, isn't it, for Haas to go and bridge that gap to Alfa Romeo. And you know, regardless of the back-to-back points they've got, I don't think they should drink the Kool-Aid too much and think that Alfa Tauri are beyond their reach or that the gap is too huge because, well, it can all change what we've seen so far and we're only 11 rounds in. And now turning our attention to the more negative aspects of this race, uh, Formula One's chiefs have been stepping in and uh, condemning really abhorrent fan behaviour at the Austrian Grand Prix just gone. There's been many sort of accusations of abuse, be that verbal or often sometimes unfortunately physical as well to members of the crowd and those who are attending this event. We've always seen, haven't we, that there have been certain swathes of fans that are opposed to drivers but when you see booing extending onto something completely different in terms of being abusive to other fans that's something that's quite different I don't think we should pretend that this is a new issue in entirety when it comes to Formula One or when it comes to sport more generally but we're seeing a, a, a magnifying glass being shone on it. We're seeing the hierarchy of Formula One deciding to intervene because of the severity of this issue. What do we make of some of the reports we're seeing coming out of this Grand Prix and those that have come before as well? So I was incredibly disappointed last weekend when it was the British Grand Prix and fans at that Grand Prix were booing Max Verstappen. And I was equally disappointed when at the Austrian Grand Prix the fans... Of, of maybe Max Verstappen or, or just didn't like you know, Lewis Hamilton or whatever, were cheering crashes and things like that. It's it's really disappointing. It's really disappointing because I know we're better than that. And unfortunately, it didn't, It went further because that was just the start of a, of a weekend that felt like F1 was letting itself down because then the allegations came out and, and the, the confirmation that fans were abusing women in the in the stands saying that they were worthless saying that they you know shouldn't support people you know making sexual moves against them and and to to go to a race and feel scared that you're not going to be able to get through it without someone touching you or or, or you know insulting you is is horrific it's really horrific and I, i'll tell you a story because i haven't told this one on air before but when we went when we went to the hockenheim grand prix a few years ago and that will date when this was because there hasn't been a Hockenheim Grand Prix for a few years my sister was uh and I were camping with and um when I was inside the tent these these lads these big big blokes came up to my sister and and started calling in a pretty girl pretty lady come on one of them said something like oh come on pretty lady and I was inside the tent at the time and I hear my sister absolutely rip into them you know, and, and yeah, basically scare them off. Like, I'm trying out of the tent thinking, what the hell on earth is going on? What the hell's this? Anyway, anyway, they start, you know, running off, oh, no, it was only a joke, it was only a joke. Anyway, but she, she luckily, she was, you know, strong enough, uh, uh, I said powerful enough to defend herself. But, you know, she was shaken enough that after that, she would always ask me or my father to chaperone her down to the you know the showers or the loos to make sure that she got there without someone catcalling her or, or something like that and I didn't really think of it at the time but can you imagine that you're normal being scared of something happening to you because security isn't on point absolutely horrific and yes yeah, some of the teams decided to try and make it up to to the, to the girls and things like that by inviting them into the garage something give them something nice to remember the weekend but it's not enough not enough they were let down by the formula one management and and then afterwards they said oh yeah we're going to investigate it they're investigating it at the moment but don't worry we'll try and deal with it they put on the signs be nice be respectful to each other that is not enough nowhere near enough 
the way the only way i think that you can fix it is have good security posted around to make sure that these things can be reported very very quickly and those people are not tolerated they're kicked out immediately tickets ripped up whatever bans against them whatever we've got to do because i am not accepting a culture in formula one where you people think it's acceptable to treat other people whoever it is in such a regard that they would be scared to come back to the sport or feel threatened oh it's disgusting absolutely disgusting and it's completely linked to the booing and to the cheering as well it is unacceptable and I, to be honest, I think if, if we got to ban fans, then that's it. We ban fans. End of. I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Tristan, to be fair. Like, it's just, it beggars, it just beggars belief how people could just come to a stage where they think that's acceptable behaviour. And whether that is, like, whether it's homophobia, homophobia whether it's sexism, the, in, the instant of, like you said, a, a Lewis Hamilton fan basically having her skirt lifted up by male fans uh male max verstappen fans who because she supported someone didn't think that she was worth the time of day of being treated as a or respected as a human being and it it just as someone who as someone who works in an industry where i'm constantly trying to um indoctrinate the next generation with positive values and you know the difference between right and wrong and how to conduct yourselves as a human being to then see absolute the word i can think of to describe it is absolute louts just like behave behave like this i use that word because ted kravitz used that same word to describe nikita mazepin when um mazepin had that video there's that video that came out of mazepin uh touching up a woman in the back of a taxi and filming it and putting it on instagram and i think that it sums it up they're just absolute louts for thinking they can behave like that and thinking they can get away with it and i i completely agree with the fact that they need, you need more security because it seems to be an issue or, or at least it has been an issue it's been an issue sort of under the surface or, or under the surface and on the surface for many many years and it's something which has been re- clearly got in the the news headlines this weekend and got a very high profile um and yeah, fact, their tickets need to be ripped up. Bans for life, I think, is fair. Treat it the same way how you have in other sports, like like football associations, ban fans for life when they've um, when there's been instances of racism towards players, whether that's in the stands or from the stands, or whether that's on social media after a game. And there needs to be the same attitude. I think also there has to be a debate raised about, for me. There seem, I mean, again, I can't say 100% sure because I wasn't there. And I also do want to stress, as Toto Wolff stressed in his remarks about the matter, that 99.5% of fans, the vast, vast, vast majority, res- respectful, behave well, conduct themselves well at the sporting event, and are there to enjoy it, as opposed to the 0.5% who want to put themselves about and try and act big and try and like make someone feel miserable. Um but like it's just there seems to be also perhaps a link between alcohol consumption and the behavior of the fans now there there is there is a link in in humanity and society between you know alcohol consumption and you have more you have more to drink and your boundaries uh get loosened your inhibitions start to start to increase and you your reaction time both in reacting to instance, but also in deciding what you're going to do with your behaviour, they slow down. And for me, they're, they're, they're quite possibly, almost certainly, is a link between alcohol consumption and people thinking this kind of behaviour is acceptable, is, is acceptable. So again, I think there has to be some sort of debate, possibly. I'm not saying ban alcohol at sporting events, because alcohol at sporting events consumed sensibly by adults means that some people can enjoy themselves more and it gives a nice atmosphere to the event. But there has to be like some sort of some some sort of debate or something brought in by the FIA, and the FIA and F one have to show that they are meaning to do something. Show that this we races one tagline that they shove in our faces all the time. Show them, show us that it matters. Show us that it's not just four words on a poster. Show us that it's actually a motto, a value, a a thesis that they that they subscribe to and they actually believe in. Um, I think the reaction from them has to be really, really strong after this. It has to be really, really strong and firm to know that it just won't be tolerated because it's just 
more than anything, it's depressing to speak about it. It's depressing for us to talk about it. It's depressing for the person and the people who are subjected to it. And there was the incident I spoke about with the Mercedes fan. There was two um, Aston Martin fans in the crowd who were getting verbally abused and and um, verbally harassed. And again, the, all these three women that I mentioned were invited to the to the garages the team they supported. And whilst that is something which will improve their day from the low it had been at, it doesn't cover up what would be a horrendous experience to go through from the original inst- incident that's happened. So Formula One and the FAI really need to get their stuff together for this and provide a really strong response because... I do not want to see that at any sporting event. Like it's just completely unacceptable. Absolutely, I can only really echo those words. And as we say, it's not something we want to talk about. But it's good to see that first of all, the senior heads of Formula One are getting involved in saying something about this. But as we know, saying something about it and condemning acts that need to be condemned is one thing. Doing something about it is something different entirely. And I think really we've seen throughout the season so far that but whether it be Miami, whether it be other Grand Prix that have been held so far, Formula 1 has sort of failed really at holding safe, well-functioning events for crowds that come here. A bit from the number of seats that are there, that are allocated for people, how that's all decided, safety of fans as well, as we've alluded to there, as well as a whole range of other things. And it's okay, isn't it, to go and say, well, you know, society is just getting started again after the pandemic and I suppose there's that impact as the sort of the, the wheels grind uh, after being sort of slowed down should we say from sort of fans and crowds perspective in terms of numbers and people being allowed to go in but I don't think that excuse goes far enough really because Formula 1 has long held uh, events around the world at different circuits long been held in different countries and we haven't really seen or well, there hasn't been the scale of them just getting it wrong so I think really what Formula 1 need to do is not only say this is bad because it is bad but also put in concrete changes to make sure that events can operate as they always had done before and people can be safe because surely for the amount of money that people have to pay around the world to go and watch this be this in Europe be this in the Middle East be this in the Americas you expect the basics to be there so that's got to be the first thing they go after and to make sure that that is that is functioning well I mean I do also think as well this whole vitriol and this this vile culture kind of does stem from last season is the blowback is the legacy of the intense shall we say competition between Mercedes and Red Bull the words that were said there the attitude towards one another and the clear lack of respect really from one garage to another be that from the very top I feel to those who were driving for their respective teams and of course we want competition and of course we want you know there to be um, sort of a real fire in that competition and for it to mean something to everyone I get that but we've had races and competition and rivalries before that haven't resulted in this sort of weird extreme tribalism where people think it's okay to call someone else worthless because of who they support. And maybe this is systematic of society more generally in terms of people just think it's okay to treat one another like that because of the power, social media and the anonymity that it can give to different people or whether it stems deeper from that really. But if Formula One is is serious about welcoming in a whole new generation of fans, be that from fans around the world where we're holding new Grand Prix in terms of debutant countries or the people we're welcoming in courtesy of Netflix Drive to Survive and the gate that's open really to a new generation of fans that perhaps wouldn't ordinarily be interested in Formula One, they've got to go and make sure that they you know, keep that gate open, let people into the sport and let them enjoy it and make it more accessible. But don't forget the very basics and making sure that if people do want to take that step further, go to a different country, go to a circuit for the first time, that they can actually enjoy it, focus on the race and not focus, as you said there, Tristan, with your sister, on things we presume should be God given to us by the fact that we've paid X amount of money and we've been holding races like this for for decades really so just getting the basics right has got to be something Formula 1 does the words are great as I say but putting that in place and making sure that we can have that is a whole different thing entirely
Well, it seems that's all we've got time for in terms of episode 20 of F1 in Review. Thank you very much for listening all the way to the end of this episode. Be that on your preferred podcast provider or River Radio, be that live or via the Listen Back feature there. A reminder, you can follow myself and Tristan individually on Twitter, as well as the F1 in Review accounts. It's all one word, no hyphens, no underscores, just like that. Do look us up and you can listen back to this episode and those we do post them sporadically there when it comes to our tweet. And there's no racing this upcoming weekend, but as ever, we will return to discuss the sprint. There was one in Austria. We're now two-thirds down when it comes to our allotted uh, sprinting, shall we say, in terms of F1 2022. The last one will be in Brazil, so a nice break until that one. And we'll also be looking forward as well to the next Grand Prix, that being round 12, the French Grand Prix. And we'll be no doubt discussing that and a whole range of other topics, news items and the rest that will no doubt come into fruition on the next time we speak. Until next time, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you then.